Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. All right. Hey, everybody. Um, today, I'm really excited. I have a guest to join me today, and she is a small business consultant who helps high-performing business owners grow their team through one-on-one support, the solopreneur to employer group program, and her do-it-yourself course, Hiring with Confidence. She guides solopreneurs as they become first-time employers and helps current employers improve team dynamics. By learning the dynamics of each company, she helps each client create and understand the right strategies so that they can find, develop, and retain the employees they need to feel confident and supported as they move their business forward. I'm so excited to introduce you today to Jamie Van Kite. Hey, Jamie. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd love, Jamie, you and I, I feel like we've crossed paths so many times. Can you tell tell Saul, though, a little bit about your family dynamics and how you, you know, jumped into the world of entrepreneurship? Yeah. So I always knew I wanted to run my own business, but I never knew really what I wanted to do. Um, my husband and I, like, we always had this envision that we would start a company together. And he's a software developer. So we just always assumed that if we started a company together, it would be something in the software arena. He would lead development and I would do the business management sales, all that other fun stuff that kind of aligns with my background. So that was always our plan. But we were always trying to figure out what what we should do in the software development area. Like We're like, we need an app. We need something. We need an idea. and. After my second daughter was born, um, the company I was working for loved the company, loved the team, loved everything about it. But they went through a few changes, and you know, I was reporting to a new manager. And stuff was going on, and just one day, I was just having one of those like really rough days at the office where you're just like, oh my goodness, can this day just hurry up and get over with already? Because I know there's a lot of things going on today that will not be an issue tomorrow. So this day just needs to get over with. And, but then there was some things that kept compounding on top of that. Like, and when I went back to work after having my second child, my mom was watching her instead of having her having to go to daycare right away. My oldest was at full-time preschool at that point in time. So she was just watching the baby, but my parents are snowbirds. So we live in Florida. So my parents are most of the year in Florida. And then they go back up to New York for the summer. So I always knew come summer, I was going to have to find something else for my youngest. and. I was like, okay, so I need to find a nanny or I need to find a daycare. And we had a rough time with my oldest's daycare. It was one of those situations where it was good until it wasn't good. And so it was so hard to trust any place because, you know, you kept having this doubt of, well, last time we thought it was great. It was great, 
until all of a sudden it wasn't, how do I know I'm making the right choice this time? So I had this very small list of places and people I was reaching out to. And the last place on my list got back to me that day to say, hey, we'll have a spot for you in eight months. And I'm like, eight months? I need a spot in like two months, like three months, like eight months. My baby's not even going to be an infant anymore. So she doesn't need a spot in the infant room. And it was like all these things just piling on top of each other. And I just said to myself that day, like, you know, that's it. I'm quitting my job and I'm becoming a stay-at-home mom. And then I was like, wait, I don't think I could ever really be a stay-at-home mom. I'm very career ambitious. Like I've always, to me, it was, I always wanted to be able to do both. Like staying home. I didn't, was bored even on maternity leave half the time. Love my children. But I was just like, I just can't do that day in and day out. It's just be 100% mom. So it's like, I need to do something. So I was like, maybe there's an opportunity for me to stay home. So I don't have to figure out the whole daycare thing but still start a business, finally do that entrepreneurship dream that I've always talked about. And so I went home to my husband that day and I was like, I have this crazy idea, but I think I'm going to quit my job and learn how to program because I'm tired of waiting for you to start the app that we're talking about. So I'm going to do it. And so that's what I did. I turned in my notice. Two months later, I left my corporate job in corporate leadership and internal operations to start learning how to program. And I lasted for eight months learning how to program during nap times after the kids went to bed when my husband was home watching the kids. And after eight months, I said, I hate this. It's not for me. It's horrible. You know, what What else can I do? Because I'm not ready to go back to the corporate office. I like being home with the kids. So then that's how I you know, started transitioning to what I'm doing now because I was lucky enough when I left my corporate job that they, they hired me on as a contractor to help them wrap up a few projects and also help with some leadership training initiatives. And I realized I love that, that work of helping other people perfect and grow their leadership and employee management skills. So that kind of helped transition into the business that I run today. So today, uh, you know, I work from home. My youngest is in part-time preschool now. My oldest, she's in just started first grade. You know, it's nice because we have our summers home together. Their kids are home after school. And my husband, he's still working his corporate job, but he actually gets to work remote most of the time. So we actually share an office at home. It's nice because we actually, we get to travel and both of us can work remote. So we're, we spent some time this summer traveling and it was, it was nice to be able to just be a family together while still pursuing the dreams and passions that we want as individuals. I love your area of expertise. I feel like I, speaking from experience, am one of those people who's kind of on the cusp of getting ready to start think about maybe employees. I think the first Mm -hmm. thing I'd love to have some clarity on is what is, can you help me define the difference between bringing a VA on or, you know, virtual assistant and then bringing on a an actual employee? Like what's the difference and how do I decide? So the difference that most people automatically go to is how you pay, pay them where a VA, they're pretty much a business of their own. So they're paying their own taxes. So you're just paying them whatever that agreed upon rate is and they care, take care of all the tax stuff. So a lot of business owners are like, oh, VAs, independent contractors are cheaper because I'm not paying the taxes, which yes, is true. When you have an employee, you are responsible for taking out the taxes that they owe from their paycheck, and then you submit that to the government, plus you're paying those additional taxes for having employees. So it's the same taxes that at the end of the day, an independent contractor has just as an employer, 
you're paying part of it, whereas an independent contractor, they're paying all of it. But that's what everyone thinks of at first is just the difference in pay. But there's actually a lot of other differences. And the main thing is the control of the relationship. When you hire a VA, they're an expert in their field. They should know how to do their job and they should have all their own equipment. And you're pretty much telling them, this is what I need. So you're telling them the outcome and then they're figuring out how to get there for your business. So it's kind of like when you work with clients, your clients isn't all the time telling you to come in and like, I need you to do this, then check this off, then this step, then this step, then this step. They're coming in saying, hey, you're the expert in your field. I need this done. And then you're like, okay, I'll take you through to get there. Like, I know how to get there for you. Where an employee, you're kind of laying the groundwork for that. You're like, this is our methodology. This is what I want. These are the hours that I need you to work. This is everything that uh, is important to me. I'm controlling every step of the way to get to that outcome. And sometimes they're not experts in their field yet. You're bringing in people and you're training them how to do that job and that role. Where when you hire a VA, they should know how to do that job. You need to teach them kind of the ins and outs of your company, like what's your company branding, mission, stuff like that. What is your company voice, especially if there's someone like a copywriter or in that field. So they know how to do their job and fit it in like with your company. But for an employee, you sometimes are teaching them and training them and doing everything that you need them to do. So at, what's the what's the tipping point? Like I'm someone who uses independent contractors, but at what yeah. point should I start to think about employees? Like what's the benefit to that too? Yeah. So some of it is independent contractors charge typically more per hour if you break it down per hour. So okay. sometimes there's a financial tipping point. So if you're using an independent contractor and the work is increased, so you're starting to use them more and more, eventually there's a tipping point. And for each position, it's different where it's actually costing you more money to work with an independent contractor than it would for you to work with an employee. So sometimes you just have to keep that in mind of what's the overall cost of that relationship. And sometimes you can have an employee and have them for more hours for less than an independent contractor. Um, some of the other things are for an independent contractor, well, you can have confidentiality where they can't go and talk about what they're doing directly with you, with a competitor. You're not always in control or own a lot of their ideas. So if they're coming to you and saying, hey, this is my idea. This is how we do there. This is how we get there. They can be going to another one of their clients and saying, hey, here's my methodology. Here's how we get to the end result. And they're using that same path to get there with them. And they own that path because that's not exclusive to your company. Your, what's exclusive to your company is the outcome that they're achieving. You know, They can't go and necessarily talk about the challenges that they're facing and are helping you overcome, but how their methodology, they're thinking what's going on in their brain is, is theirs, where with an employee... You can sit there and set up rules and saying, anything you do on your company computer, the company owns. So that way, like they can't go and take what they do when they're working for you as an employee and go do it somewhere else. Like they need to start over, start fresh, get new ideas. There's a money component, but there's also like an intellectual property yes. component. Yep. And, and then sometimes it's just the additional control. Like you had, let's say you're working with a VA and they're helping you out five hours a week. It really doesn't matter what five hours those are. But now you realize, hey, I really need someone that can answer client emails Monday through Friday from nine to 12 because that's when they come in. That's when the phone calls come in. And you need someone for certain blocks of time. 
well, one of the factors that can say someone's an employee versus an independent contractor is you're telling them exactly when and where to work. So if you're saying, I need you available for this time, most of the time that's tipping them over into the employee arena. So when things start becoming, and it's different, some businesses never get to this point and they're perfectly capable of working with independent contractors the entire time. And other businesses will reach a point where it's like, you need to, you need to have more control to tell them exactly when and how to do work. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, for a lot of our, our listeners, we are family entrepreneurial. So when yes. we need help, we go to our kids or our spouses or brothers, sisters, moms, dads, whoever it may be, family. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any tips or advice? Is there anything that would make hiring a family member different than hiring somebody, I don't know, an average Joe? <laughs> Yeah. So when it comes to like the legalities or anything about hiring, there really isn't too much that that differs. Uh, But it's just mostly how you're going to go forth with the relationship. Um, You know, some of the things you have to think about is being fair, especially if you have non-family employees. It's always one of those things where I always say, people might not be able to win a lawsuit, but it doesn't mean they won't try. So you want to make sure you have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. So if you're going to give a family member a promotion over somebody else, making sure that there's good reasons why that, you know, people can't say, well, it only ever goes to family. You're supporting, like you, you view family over anyone else, even though you have all these other people that are working really hard for you. So, you know, just kind of be careful and things like that. Um, the other things when it comes to like working with family that, you know, just being careful is, you have that family relationship and now you're going to have this work relationship. How do you distinguish the two? How do you make it so things are clear of this is how we act here when we're doing this and we're doing work. And then this is how we act here. You know, for example, there's a lot of people that I know that you support where it's kids are starting businesses. So there could be in that business relationship, the kid is in charge and what is the parent's role there? You know, so is our mom and dad just the seed money or because mom and dad were the seed money, they also have a say and just making sure those relationships are clear. But then if the kid has the final decision-making authority in the business, making sure that kid understands that they might not have the final decision-making authority when it comes to everything else outside of the business, that mom and dad are still in charge at home. <laughs> oh my gosh. All I can do is chuckle with that. Like when does the boss hat come off the child and get put back on the parent. Yeah. That's a really good point. I always say when you're going into business with family, whether you're bringing them on as an employee or whether it's going to be a partnership or an investment, investor type situation is treat it like you're going into a partnership with a complete stranger. What would you outline? What would you set the groundwork for? Like, what are the ground rules? And doing those up front. So sometimes like people need to know, well, yes, you're an employee within my company. This is what it means for you to be an employee. You know, this is what it like. You don't have these decision-making abilities or this is what you are in charge of because I am putting you over this department or this section of the business, but you don't have the say over here or you do have a say. Like this is, this is how it's going to work and really setting what those dynamics are because the water can get really muddy when it's family. So I always say be clear ahead of time. So that way before the arguments start, you guys are in a good place and you come up to an agreement of how things are going to work. So when there are those challenges, everyone can look back to say, well, this is what we agreed on. Maybe what we agreed on before we got in this situation doesn't work anymore and we need to change it. 
but at least this is what we agreed on before we were having challenges. So we need to at least see if that actually can work with everything that's going on now. And if it can't work, then let's discuss and make changes, but at least have something to reference back to. I love that. And I think it's so easy when it comes to friends or family, you know, we can even bring friends into it because especially, you know, you and I, I feel like can agree, you know, you go to all these conferences and you're traveling and you make more and more entrepreneurial friends and then you want to collaborate together. Um, And it's easy to feel like a contract isn't needed because it's friends or family (laughs) when really the contract is a tool. Like it's a, it's a tool to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And I refer back to my contracts all the time. And it's not because I'm trying to pick a fight or win an argument. It's just to remember what the expectations were so that everybody feels like they're getting, you know, what they want out of that partnership. So I love that you brought that up. And I think it's a really important point, you know, to have that contract, have those conversations. But then that contract, you know, we're touring the US. So we just learned about the constitution and it, like it's, it's alive and a contract could be alive too. And if there's a change that needs to be made, you just amend it. You know, you come to those conversations, right? Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So it's always good to have the conversations and, but have that tool to, to fall back on to say, okay, what did we agree upon? Yeah. So now we, we've kind of, we're going to want to do that same thing, right? For a complete stranger, but is there anything else I feel like with complete strangers, the part that then gets scary is like, how do you know who the right person is? Do you help people with like interview techniques or, or just how to, yes, how to know who's going to fit? Yeah, that's actually where I help most of my clients is with the hiring process. Oh, so yeah, so a lot of people come to me and they're like, I have no idea who to hire, how to, how to find the right person. Or like, I keep having a series of bad hires, like help me stop this. And most of it comes back to, you have to be 100% clear on what that position is going to do and how it really impacts your business and what's important for that position. And when I say what's important, think about, well, what qualities make it so this person will be successful within this role? And, you know, kind of like thinking about that. So then once you know what the position is going to do and what qualities or characteristics or skill sets in your opinion, make someone successful, then we can start working backwards and saying, okay, well, here's what you're asked during an interview. Here's what you should look for on a resume. And also like more important, the most important thing is how are you actually going to write that job description? You know, a lot of people will think, well, I need to hire someone that has like pretty much this title. And they kind of thinking like title first, and then everything else is going to fill in later. And I always say, no, let's start with what actually are you going to have that person do in the position? And then once we figure out what that person's going to do, we can work up to that job title. So it's just being very clear on what you actually need. Because if you go into the hiring process and you don't really know what you need or what it it takes to be successful, you don't know how to identify it with your job candidates. And then you're kind of picking someone randomly like, oh, this person seems like a good fit, but you don't actually know if they're a good fit. Yeah. So with my clients, I'm all about the teaching and education. So they can determine if someone is actually a fit for their position and know whether someone is going to be successful or not in the role before they hire. Now, I'd love to know your opinion on this. I've interviewed with, I mean, not recently, but I've interviewed with a couple people in the past. um, And I know a lot of people who give like personality tests. Like there's a bunch of them. 
there's some that like assign you colors. There's some that give you letters. Like, I don't know if I'm an INJF. <laughs> like, I, I don't know those things. But I know there's all of these tests. Do you think those are a good idea? And if you do, I'd love to know like which tests you think are worth checking out or using. Yeah. So my my big answer is don't do them. <laughs> um, and at least during the interview process. And okay. here's why I say that. A lot of people, they want to do it really early on during the interview process. And some people even say here, they'll give the everyone a link and say, go take this personality test submit the answers to me. And what they're providing them is typically a free test. One, those free tests don't really give you enough information to actually make sound decisions on anything. They're giving you like high level and you have to pay to get into like the real details of those tests. Sure. You're not, not going to have every candidate who applies go take that test and pay for it because you're going to get a pretty big bill pretty fast. Like, you know, sometimes you can have hundreds of candidates on a job, so you don't want to pay for it. And the free tests aren't going to give you a lot. Also, when you bring those tests in early during the interview process, you're telling yourself in your mind, only people with certain personality traits can do this job. And that's not true. You know, people have different aspects that they bring to the surface that make them capable of pretty much like any type of job. I know when I was in corporate, one of the teams I managed was a team of account managers and we did those personality tests on our team the one day. And everybody had different traits that, that were their top traits. It was completely different across the board. And when you looked at like the top performers on those teams, even all of them were completely different. So I always say, don't do it early in the interview process because it's not going to give you any of the right information to determine if they're a fit. However, I do sometimes encourage personality tests later. And the reason why I encourage them later is if they're going to be used during the interview process at all, I say, save it till you have like your top two or three candidates. And if you're having a really hard time deciding which one you should bring on, then sometimes run the personality test because if you know what you are, then you can say, all right, here's the ones based on how I know I interact with other people. I'm going to have the easiest time managing. And, you know, because some people with their personalities, they can interact really well with people of all different personality backgrounds. Other people, they're going to have the easiest time managing people with similar or opposite and based on like what their exact results are. So sometimes I say do it later if you need help deciding between candidates. And then also, I think they're really great when you are managing a team. So when you do have a team and you already have people coming on and maybe you've made your hiring decision, sometimes having that person take a personality test so that way you know how to interact with them on a daily basis. When I did it back in my corporate job with my entire team, it really helped me grow the relationships because I knew when someone came in for like a one-to-one meeting, who I had to get right down into the facts first because with the way they were, they didn't care about anything else. They just wanted to go boom, 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 get it over with and get done. I knew. Which ones did I have to have a three-minute conversation with and really explain the big picture before we could dig into what exactly I needed out of them? And then there was other people I knew, like, when they came in, family was really important for them. So I always needed to ask them, how are your kids doing? You know, what did you guys do this weekend? You know, and did you get the kids off to school okay this morning? Because that, just asking those questions made them engaged in the conversation. So we were able to have better conversations. So you do help with managing. So I'm don't, so it's not one of those things where it's like, never do them with your team. But I yeah. really discourage having them done during the interview process as a way to select who you're going to interview. 
And do you have a test that you recommend for that stage in the process? So the one that I like the best is the results are is DISC. To me, that one, when I've done them with teams in the past, provide the best information. There's a lot of companies. Four letters. Yes. So yeah, DISC. So (laughs) D-I-S-N-C. So and I feel like a really for the ones that I have personally done, it gives you the best detail. And of course, these are all paid versions that are going to give you this level of detail, but they give you the best detail of strengths, how people use those strengths based on their answers and how you can interact best with people of other areas. I do know there's other tests out there that kind of provide that same level of information as well, but those, that's the one that I personally like the best. Awesome. Gosh, I feel like this is so helpful because I think our goal is always to grow. Like we don't ever just start a business because we want to get by. We want to stay where we're at. You know, like, that's not why people start a business. They're starting their business because they want to grow. They want to build a legacy. Um, And oftentimes we can't do that alone. We have to bring on a team and build a team to do that. So I'm really grateful for all of the the tips and tricks that you've, you know, contributed. Um, I'd love to know where people can learn more about you. Yeah. So my website is jamievc.com. So VC for short for Van Kike because I did, <laughs> I knew Van Kike would be difficult for people to go out and spell all the time. So the, my website is just jamie, J-A-M-I-E-V-C.com. From there, you can, uh, there's links to get to Instagram, Facebook, my Facebook community. I do have the solopreneur to employer journey Facebook community that you can join. And then on Instagram and my Facebook page, they are both Jamie VC leadership. And I'm always willing to connect and answer questions. Awesome. Well, I hope people do reach out to you because I think this is an area, like I said, where there's a ton of confusion and a ton of stress and there doesn't have to be. And I like that. I'm glad that you're here to answer all of those questions. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. You will find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash Jamie. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcasting app, and we'll see you again next week. Bye. Don't miss my mom's next episode. Bye.